Hello, you're listening in with Lloyd Goslink. This podcast is brought to you by Lloyd Goslink, Rochelle and Townsend in Austin, Texas. Lloyd Goslink is a 30 plus attorney firm specializing in natural resources, energy, litigation, and employment law. My name is Angie Matz, and I am the firm's marketing coordinator. Our purpose with this podcast is to talk with some of our practice area experts about timely topics and trends in an informal setting while aiming to be a little bit fun and informative to listeners. Hello and welcome to Listening In with Lloyd Gosselink. Today we have a very special podcast as we're going to be talking about a state agency that so many of our listeners, so many of our friends and clients work with, and that is TCEQ. We have with us a couple TCEQ alumni. We have Rosalind Duberstein and Jesse Spears, both of whom are attorneys at TCEQ. And the title of today's podcast is Helping TCEQ Help You. So much of permitting, so much of compliance, so much of the enforcement day-to-day that you all see and live with and experience, knowing that some of the background behind what TCEQ expects and what are some of the best practices that can be very helpful in order to navigate those processes. And so I'm Nathan Vassar. I am principal here at Lloyd Gosselink. And like I mentioned at the outset, two of my esteemed colleagues are with me, Rosalind Duberstein came to us from the TCEQ litigation division. So we'll talk to Rosalind about some of her experiences on various enforcement matters and best practices there. Then Jesse Spears came to us from the environmental law division at TCEQ. And so we will take a look at ways to approach permitting the outset, how to deal with preparation for and participation in agenda and public hearings and the like. And so we're honored to have both Rosalind and Jesse with us today. And with that, we're going to dive right in and just start with a big picture question about just what are some of the best practices for clients, for practitioners, whether you're a consultant or attorney, in interfacing with TCEQ? And Rosalind, we'll start with you and can tell us about your perspective on that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Nathan. So I would say one of the most helpful starting points, if you have any issue that falls within TCEQ's purview, is to simply visit their website. They have a really comprehensive site that contains many guidance documents on how-tos or certain regulations and rules that are changing rapidly. So if, you know, your water system is wondering how to comply with certain testing requirements or you have a municipal waste site, those kinds of guidance documents are readily available on the website. It's also helpful to become familiar, even as someone who is within the agency, with the organization charts that are available. It's a really big state agency, and each department covers pretty specialized areas. So if you kind of you know use the org chart as a starting point, if you have a water issue, maybe it's water supply division, but you want to go on the org chart and figure out which specific point of contact you might start with to answer your questions. So it seems kind of obvious, but TCQ has several online resources that can kind of be the starting point when you have an issue. Yeah, thanks, Rosalind. And I know, obviously, with many of our permitting practices and many of our engagements with the agency, document retention is critical. And, and Jesse, I'm curious if you can tell us just about some of your experiences and behind the curtain as far as best practices with PCQ and document retention. 
Yeah, thanks, Nathan. So one of the things I would say it's really important is just to consult the rules and regulations and determine which requirements and how long you need to keep the documents for that apply to your facility or apply to your organization. And just make sure that you're maintaining records with complete and accurate information so you're ready for submissions or any other compliance history and other compliance issues that you may need to deal with. Yeah, I know a lot of times many applications, depending on their type and what they represent, may span a number of years. And so I'm curious, Rosalind, you know, when you have typically a number of meetings, conversations, phone calls with TCEQ staff, is there a recommendation from your angle of how to capture those as a part of the broader file? Absolutely. So I think, you know, coming from an enforcement perspective, Maintaining documentation of your correspondence with the agency, your correspondence with other parties that you may work with, like, for example, water sampling, that kind of thing. Maintaining all of those records, even emails, even written letters, is very important. When you receive a notice of violation or something to signify that your regulated entity might be under enforcement, the process can be expedited if you have documentation of sort of how to retrace the steps And I think a theme that we'll address throughout this discussion is compliance is ultimately the goal. And that, you know, TCEQ is a regulatory body. And as with the title of this podcast, TCEQ is ultimately there to help you stay in compliance. And so I think the more documentation and tracking of your correspondence, your compliance measures, those sorts of things that you can provide and have on hand, the more the agency will be enabled to help you. Thanks, Rosalind. As far as compliance goes, we know the flip side of that coin is the enforcement component. And I'm curious, from your perspective, being in the agency, what's the first thing someone should do when they get an enforcement letter from the agency? So I guess a starting point for this question would just be the idea that a regulated entity is really given several opportunities to work with the agency and reach solutions prior to the point that an enforcement proceeding reaches the litigation division. So I would say, first and foremost, being communicative right off the bat is extremely important. When you receive, whether it be a notice of violation or other kind of enforcement correspondence from the agency, assess what the issue is, decide whether you have the records on hand, and respond punctually to the point of contact that's listed in the correspondence. The more communicative and responsive you can be, the more the agency is able to help you. I think many of my most rewarding cases I worked on were those where I had a very communicative respondent and we were able to sort of work through what documentation do they have on their end? What do we have on our end? And when you put the two together, how are we able to craft a solution that might not end in us going to the state office of administrative hearings? It really just ends in how can we take corrective actions and work together to ensure that this doesn't happen again? So I think if you kind of come to it with that angle, it doesn't always have to be something contentious. It really can be a collaborative effort. So that, I would say, is probably the best starting point when you receive any kind of enforcement from TCEQ. You know, one thing, just to jump in on that, Rosalind, that we hear a lot is someone will get a notice of enforcement or a proposed agreed order, and they'll ask, well, what's the value of sending a response letter back? And so often what we say is that, Well, TCEQ may know your permit. They'll know the the paper in front of them there at the agency, but you know your system. 
and you know your compliance history, and you know what caused that excursion of this parameter or what caused this permit noncompliance in some other form. And so telling your story, explaining that narrative goes a long way toward drafting what may become the ultimate agreed order, but also building trust within the agency that, again, you care about compliance and you're not just waiting for the hammer to drop, so to speak. What's your take on just laying out that type of background on a violation just so that it's out there for TCQ? I agree with that, Nathan. I think that that's a really good point. We regulate several entities similarly, but no two entities are really the same. I found that that was one of the most interesting and cool things about working for the TCEQ is on its face enforcing, you know, the same rule under the Texas Administrative Code might look the same, but then you start to dig in and you realize that the narrative from these regulated entities can really differ. And the way that they take compliance measures might need to differ because maybe their systems are entirely different than the one that we've dealt with before. So I think that that's a really good point. And that kind of is a nice segue into the idea of a penalty within an enforcement action. Prior to an administrative penalty even being fully enforced against you, you have several opportunities, as I mentioned, to sort of rectify the issue. So there will be an investigation that initiates this in the first place, and there will be an investigator. And that's your first point of contact with the agency to be able to represent to them your position on the violations that are being assessed. And sometimes there's not even anything referred to enforcement at that point. So like I said, from the get-go, the earlier that you can be in communication with someone at the agency, the better. But assuming that something is investigated, is referred to the enforcement division, and a penalty is assessed, in line with the idea of compliance being the main goal, the corrective actions are oftentimes more of a priority than the monetary penalty. So that is something to keep in mind, I think, particularly for self-represented respondents, but really for any entities, they see a dollar sign. And it's scary. And I understand that. But there's also a list of actions for that entity to take to fix the problem at stake. And typically that's going to be the agency's primary concern is bringing the violation back into compliance and ensuring that moving forward, they won't wind up back in enforcement. So I would say where a penalty is concerned, also pay attention to the fact that corrective actions accompany that penalty most of the time. And While many penalty amounts are bound by statute, there's also certain categories in TCEQ's penalty policy that carry with them more discretion, such as good faith efforts to comply. If this is, if you feel that you're receiving this enforcement letter past the point of when it might have taken place, maybe you already brought it back into compliance and you did so in a timely manner. Looping back to maintaining documentation, present that documentation, and you're likely to be considered for some kind of discretionary reduction in penalty. One thing with penalties that some entities may not realize, and often it is included in the standard cover letter, is the opportunity for a supplemental environmental project. And just to note quickly, and then we'll pivot over to some of the permitting and environmental law division issues, public entities can get dollar for dollar, 100% of their penalty covered by a supplemental environmental project or a SEP. Those SEPs can be focused on the violation, which is counter to a lot of what folks think about SEPs, the idea that supplemental, but TCEQ has allowed for what are called compliance SEPs that really help a lot of entities 
get to compliance faster. You get credit for installing certain equipment at a plant. You get credit for dealing with flow issues on I&I reduction. You, you name it, as long as you can show that nexus between the problem and the fix, if it's approved, that can be a compliance step that allows you to get that penalty offset by the funds that are used for the project. Also on the, what I like to call the SEP menu, are custom SEPs where you come up with your own project, create your own adventure, if you will. Uh, those actually have to be unrelated to the underlying issue on violations, but oftentimes entities, whether they're public or private entities, will veer toward the custom set because their options are more limited just under existing law. But there's a lot of value to looking at ways in which, and sometimes it's for political reasons, sometimes it's PR optics of, hey, instead of paying a penalty, we're putting these funds towards something that's needed. And so that can go a long ways. And so I know, Rosalind, you've dealt with SEPs there at the agency when you were there. Any other thoughts on the structure or just how folks can avail themselves to a SEP opportunity? You know, not particularly. I think you summarized it pretty well, Nathan. I will just say sort of in the spirit of SEPs, a good takeaway from this podcast is that resources are available to you at the agency. Um, So in addition to projects like SEPs and, you know, using it as a settlement tool to offset your penalty, but also benefit the environment, we also have small business and local government assistance programs and FMT assistance for water systems, something to keep in mind as you approach any issues before the TCEQ. A lot of these tools can make the enforcement process a little bit less scary than it might be when you get that initial letter. So, Rosalind, thank you for those perspectives and want to pivot over to Jesse Spears and her time at the Environmental Law Division at TCEQ, where instead of on the enforcement side, we're really talking about some of the front end permitting and agency interaction on the non-enforcement side of things. And in fact, even just talking about permitting just this morning on a stakeholder meeting there at TCEQ, the Office of Water pointed out, look, there are often applications received at the agency that are half-baked. And so I think, Jesse, tell us about some of the ways on the front end of an application, applicants and permittees can make sure that they're providing TCEQ with what's needed. From your experience, what are some of the best ways to ensure that you've got the best product going in for that initial application? Well, as we've mentioned quite a few times, I think, already, the TCEQ's website is really a great starting point. They have a lot of useful resources and instructions to walk you through the applications and make sure that you fill out the entire application. Another good resource is setting up a pre-application meeting with TCEQ staff. In some cases, for some applications, it's now a requirement, but it's definitely an option, too, and a good tool that, even if you're not required by rule to have a pre-application meeting, just preparing your application and bringing any questions you may have to TCEQ staff is a good starting point also. And with that, I'll add that responding to any of the requests for information or any other holes in your application that TCEQ staff may find as quickly as possible is another useful tool to help the application process go a little bit smoother. And let me ask, Jesse, on the pre-application meetings, for those who may not have participated in pre-app meetings as we refer to them, what are some of the things that you want to bring into that discussion or provide even in advance of that pre-app discussion that, that can help frame up whatever the application is? A lot of things that, in my experience, people would provide for meetings, they'd kind of submit their application as fully filled out as they could have it, along with some of the technical review and maybe other documentation from consulting staff that they had received and just 
bring in any questions that you may have while reviewing that may have come up for TCEQ staff to answer. But the more complete your application is, the better review and more substantive application meeting you can have with TCEQ staff. And, you know, one thing as well, I mean, would you say TCEQ staff, like all of us, they like maps, they like pictures, bringing in kind of a, depending on what the project is, some sort of a visual of what it is, where this discharge is going to be located, where the diversion point is proposed. Would you say that those types of information can help in that discussion to at least add further context to what the applicant is proposing? Yeah, definitely. I think it was a point Rosalind mentioned earlier, but the more information you can provide TCEQ on your specific situation, the better they can respond and help you out and kind of guide the process from there. So when we talk about moving through the regulatory process, obviously the Wednesday agendas at TCEQ are front and center with the commissioners there at the dais and staff presenting on various issues. From your time at the agency, Jesse, what were some of the things that applicants and just the regulated community really should do and and maybe in some ways what should they not do in preparing for TCEQ agenda and any related public hearings or public settings, meetings like that? I think the best thing you can do is prepare for those agenda meetings. There are a few deadlines that come up before to either file responses to hearing requests that have been submitted and just additional ways that you can provide the commissioners information on your specific case and application that will help them make a more informed decision. And going to agenda meetings completely prepared and able to answer any questions that commissioners may have also helps with the process. And one thing as well, when we talk about just how to make things more efficient, because I think if there's one, and there are really several undercurrents or themes to what we've been talking about today, it's trying to avoid delay, trying to avoid mistakes or stumbles. And But delay is a big challenge with permittees, depending on what their situation is, when they need a permit, what an upcoming deadline is. And so there's been, I know, a recent push Obviously, there are on certain applications, there are requirements for paper applications, but tell us, does the agency, and maybe since the pandemic began two years ago, there's been more of a pivot away from paper. What what does that look like at TCEQ these days as far as electronic documents? So most applications you can submit with an electronic filing on the TCEQ website, and it's really recommended to do that because it gives TCEQ staff the ability to review your application as soon as you submitted it. And I will note that some applications are still required by rule to be submitted in hard copy, but that doesn't necessarily preclude you from submitting an electronic version of the application as well. And there have been other streamlining efforts and a big shift towards electronic filing and different stakeholder groups and TCEQ webinars are open for permittees and applicants to comment on that as well. Thanks, Jesse. And in wrap up, is there anything else that either of you would like to add just with respect to working with TCEQ staff and again, just inside perspectives from your time there? Sure. I would add that having been on that side of things, TCEQ staff carry heavy workloads and they're not only working on the kinds of permitting cases or enforcement cases that we're talking about today. There's also extensive policy work and all kinds of other issues that the agency is facing every day. So the more that you can provide the detailed documentation and those sorts of things that we've discussed today, the more you allow them to help you find compliance and get your permits. Helpful perspective. Well, we certainly appreciate both Rosalind and Jesse visiting with listening with Lloyd Gosling today. We hope that this discussion 
will help you, help TCEQ help you as it turns out. In any event, we appreciate your listening in today, and we hope that you will continue to listen to the rest of the episodes here in Season 3. If you would like more information about what you've heard today, please visit lglawfirm.com. You can also find us at Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views, nor are they endorsed by Lloyd Gosling Law Firm. None of this content should be considered legal advice, as one should always consult a lawyer. This podcast is not intended for commercial purposes and is made available at no cost. Music for the podcast is from album Jazz You and is titled By the Coast 2004-2007 by Anthony Rajakov. License under the attribution non-commercial share-alike license is available on free music archive. To learn more, visit by clicking the link in today's summary.